Welcome to the Mapped Out Money podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number 43. And today's episode is sponsored by the Mapped Out Money YouTube channel. So yes, if you haven't seen it, Hannah and I have a YouTube channel over there. You can type in Nick and Hannah or Mapped Out Money. It'll come right up. We talk about a lot of the same stuff we do over here on the podcast, but the videos are a little bit more, uh, a little more tight, a little more scripted, and obviously have um, some visuals and pictures and images to go along with everything we're talking about. And we actually have a video on today's topic about how to decide which house to buy. So if you're interested in that, just go over to YouTube and uh, search for Mapped Out Money. And it'll come right up. So last week, we talked about how to decide where to live, how to choose your location, the city, the state that you want to move to. And this week, we're talking about once you've landed on the city, how do you choose the specific house, the actual place you're going to live within that city? I think this was way harder than I expected it to be when we started house shopping. Yeah. And through the process, too, I think it was really hard to maintain perspective, even though we do think about things systematically a lot. Like, I think we're that's one of our strengths is doing that together. Uh, but it was still really hard to do it while we were buying a house yeah. and to maintain that throughout the process because there were so many curveballs. Well, homes are this weird thing. And I'd be interested to know if... if um this is true across multi other cultures, like in Europe and in Australia and Canada, probably because they're still somewhat Western. But the idea of home ownership in America, especially, has like this societal, emotional, like it just feels like, yeah. It is such an emotional process. Yes. And so it's not, it is, I mean, no matter how, you know, rational you try to be. There's just a lot of emotions that start coming out that can really drive your decisions if you're not careful. Yep. So all that to say, there's a lot to dive into yeah. with this process. So let's jump right into number one. Yeah. So our first tip is the most rational, which is to know your budget inside and out. And again, it's so important to get that nailed down yes. before your irrational thoughts. Oh my gosh. Yes, you in. have to. You have to because it's so, so, so easy to just start inching your budget up a little bit here and a little mm -hmm. bit there. And, uh, you know, maybe we could do it. It's so easy. It is. So you got to get this. You got to get this nailed down. It might even be a good idea to get this. I think you should get this nailed down before you get pre approved. I, yeah, I agree with like, that. I agree you with that. And your, if you have a spouse, talk with your spouse and y'all figure out what you're comfortable with, then get pre-approved because yeah. that pre-approval number can really skew your Well, and that's logic. what we did. We we literally, we we knew about where we wanted to be and then we got pre-approved. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, banks are literally loaning this kind of money to people who make what we make. This <laughs> is crazy. All that to say, hopefully, if you've been implementing some of the other tips we talked about, like we did a whole episode on you know credit scores um, and how to make sure that you're working on that. If you're doing all that stuff, you should be able to get approved for more than what you should probably take. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. Don't don't just use whatever you get approved for from the bank as, well, that's my budget. To give you a little bit more concrete uh, help with this, though, how do you decide what your budget is? Well, a good rule of thumb in, in sort of the financial advice sphere is to start with 20, no more than 25 to 30% of your take-home pay. Use this as a baseline, a place to start. If you're in a really high cost of living area, 
it's going to be hard to find something that is 25% or less of your monthly take-home pay. Whereas if you're in a really low-cost living area, you might be able to get the house you want on 20% of your monthly take-home pay. So that doesn't mean you should just automatically increase it to 25. But using like no more than 25 to 30% of your take-home pay is a good place to start out. We're talking about the mortgage uh, price itself. So the the principal and interest, if you're taking out a loan for less than 20%, that's also going to include the PMI. So it's, it's the mortgage payment plus the property taxes that come out ideally on a monthly basis, whatever that is monthly, plus the homeowner's insurance. So those three things. For really easy numbers, if you are taking home $4,000 a month, that means that you would want your mortgage payment, your homeowner's insurance, and your property taxes to be $1,000 a month or less, right? It's just one-fourth. It's a really easy place to start. Now, that being said, you are going to let emotions come into this decision-making. We'll talk more about emotions as we go. But where I'm going with this is some people really value their living situation more than other things in their budget. And so if you can confidently tell me that you don't really like to travel that much or you don't really care to spend a lot of money on other things that people typically spend money on, like eating out or clothing or a lot of other discretionary stuff, you just really, really love your home and you want to put as much of your money as you can into your home environment. And if you can confidently say that about all of your holistic spending and your priorities, maybe you can let your number creep up to 35%, right? Maybe you let that creep up. But if you say, no, actually, I love travel. I want to travel a ton. I want to go on multiple trips a year. That's a big part of my budget. I actually don't care about my living situation as much. Well, then don't let your budget be 25 or 30% of your take-home pay. Try to find something that is 20% or less of your take-home pay. So these, these are places to start. These are rules of thumb, but with all rules of thumb, you need to take them and tailor them to your own specific situation and your own unique wants and desires. The biggest thing is that if you start getting outside the bands of this rule of thumb, you need to really think about the flexibility that you're giving up by doing that. I've seen a lot of people and worked with a number of clients that have bought a house at the 35, 40% of their take-home pay, and it puts a massive, massive strain on their budget, and it really limits the flexibility that they have to do a lot of other things and invest for the future and a lot of stuff that they ultimately really want to do. And the house maybe really isn't worth giving up that much flexibility. So if you're going to make that trade-off, you need to be very thoughtful about it and truly ask yourself if that's worth it. That makes me think, I can't remember, I think we talked about it in an episode, but asking yourself the question, how am I going to feel about this purchase in a year or yes. five years or whatever, um, but really trying to detach from the situation and and think about a year from now when the new has worn off of this house, am I still going to be happy to be sacrificing in all these other areas of my budget so that I can afford this house? Uh, and if not, obviously, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing we have to address with this 25 to 30% is what kind of mortgage are we talking about? We're talking about a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage, because obviously that can massively affect that 25 or 30% number. You can buy a lot more house if you're doing 25% based on a 30-year mortgage versus 25% based on a 15-year mortgage. I think we should probably do an entire episode really diving into the pros and cons of a 15 versus a 30-year mortgage. But my quick opinion is that In an ideal world, especially if you are in a lower cost of living area, 
you would be able to afford a 15-year mortgage. And then you may decide to get a 30-year mortgage anyways because of the low interest rates, depending on what's going on in the country, so that you can then invest more money. Like that's one option. So in an ideal world, everyone would be able to do a 15-year on 25%. That's the number I would love for people to aim for. However, if you're in a high-cost living area, that's going to be nearly impossible to do for most middle-class people. And if you're in a low-cost area, you may not be able to do that either, but also if you can do that, you may choose not to take a 15-year. So I'm not saying that everyone should do a 15-year. Let me be clear there. I'm not saying you should do a 15-year mortgage. Well, didn't you say that a lot of people encourage you to, like you said, buy a house where you could afford a 15-year mortgage on it, but then do a 30-year mortgage just so you have the flexibility of yes. throwing throwing extra money at the house or investing it or yeah and that advice that advice is really popular right now and for the past five to six years in the u.s because mortgage interest rates are so low whereas you know if we were having this conversation in the 80s it'd be a very different conversation yeah well i know when we were talking about buying a house in chattanooga years ago um and obviously we didn't end up doing that but we were thinking about mortgages very differently yes than we did with covid interest rates yeah covid interest rates are crazy like I said, we, we won't go down the rabbit hole right now of 15-year versus 30-year, but try really hard. I know, it's, I know it's tough, especially if you really want a house, but try really hard to not stretch that 30, 35% of your take-home pay on a 30-year mortgage. If you do that, you might end up getting yourself into a house that's going to cause a lot of strain on your monthly budget and cause a lot of um, lack of flexibility down the road, which just ultimately makes things a lot harder than they have to be. All right. So let's move on to our second tip, which is to search and get to know the area so well that you have a gut feeling about house values that's pretty accurate. And um, I don't want to brag, but I got pretty good at this. Oh, you were super good at this. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was literally a game. We, you know, so like we talked about in the last episode, we obviously have a big advantage because we lived in an RV. So we spent three, four, we spent like six months in this area. Well, and that was just the last time we came here too. We was, had been yeah, here. We had been here before. Yep. And so we spent months in this area living in an RV and we would just get out and our weekend hobby was we just go walk. Mm-hmm. Walk around all these different areas. Yeah, we walked 11 miles one day. One Saturday, like we, yeah. Yeah, so we walked a ton. We, uh, we got to know the area super well and it was fun because it, it did become a game. I mean, we would pass a house for sale and I would Google it on Zillow and I would say, guess, you know, what do you think? And I pull it, I pull it up on my phone and say, all right, this is a, you know, built in 80, you know, 81, uh, three bed, two bath. What do you think it is? And you, I mean, you were spot on most of the time within 10% of the, of the cost. Well, I subscribed to Zillow, Trulia, um, you know, all the, all the real estate, realtor.com, all those emails. I was getting them for, for this area constantly for probably over a year. Yeah. Uh, before we actually got serious about buying, so yeah, I was ready. But it, but it made a huge difference. Um, it makes a huge difference in two ways. One, it makes a really big difference because you'll now get to really feel out what part of the city do you really want to be in. Slash, and can you afford to be? Slash, in? can you afford to be in? And then two, when it comes to the exact house that you're ready to start making an offer on, you really know whether or not you're getting a good deal or what it should be. You know, yes, we used a real estate agent. Our real estate agent was awesome. His name is Michael. Um, he was extremely helpful. But even with his help, it was good for us 
to be so familiar with the area that we were able to feel like mm, this house feels a little overpriced or ooh, this house is a good deal. Well, and it's funny, too, because the house that we ended up buying before we made an offer on it, when we first came to look at it, we told him the price that we would really like to get it for. And he was like, I don't know that you're going to be able to get it for that. He's like, I think you might be a little over that. He was like, we'll put we'll put the offer in and see what happens. But he's like, I, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. And uh, it did. Well, they ended up coming way down. Um, the house that we ended up buying was it had been rented for 10 years. The house, they had it. They just way overpriced it. And it was sitting on the market vacant for we watched it a long we watched time. it for three or four months mm-hmm. which was really weird because the area that we bought in is a hot market i mean mm-hmm. a lot of houses don't last very long here but this house was just really overpriced especially because it was a project so you know most it takes a certain type of of person to be uh dumb enough or brave enough yeah uh, i guess true. to to buy what we bought but the point is, we saw it, and it just we walked by it a, a bunch of times, and just felt like it just well, seems we overpriced. Said, we were like, and it was technically within our budget, but we we just, I just looked at it. I wouldn't it. want to pay it for that. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what we had kept saying. We had kept looking at it, kept looking at it, and go, I just don't want to pay that for it. And um, then what what really helped us was another house, just a few, just a few houses Four down. Four houses from down. Ours. Yeah came onto the market and it had been totally redone yep. and it was not priced that much above the one that we ended up buying and it had which been, was not and totally it was a redone. flip it was somebody had come in and flipped it and yeah. like you know did all the all the things you're supposed to do you know painted it white and made it look like HGTV and it looks great yeah whatever. and so that made us feel like okay we let's give them a low ball offer yep. and maybe they'll take it with the perspective of oh this house right here is not that much higher than yep. than ours that's not redone. Yeah. So maybe maybe we've got this thing priced too high. Uh, so yeah, that really works in our favor. But also just just big picture here, having that gut feeling about the house values helps in the big picture way of understanding what your money will buy in the different little nuanced areas yes. of your city. So we had a very clear picture of what we could get. Um, and kind of the three options that we have in our area. And those three options are super close to downtown and the bay. And if we wanted to buy, like literally right there in downtown, we were going to be able to buy maybe a one-bedroom, one-bathroom house. And we looked at one. Yeah. And I mean, calling it a bedroom, it would have been a tight squeeze to get a twin bed. I mean, it honestly would have been laughable because we would have moved from the Airstream to like a house that was not much bigger than the Airstream. And there would have been no shot. We would have had to sell the Airstream to get in that location, not even from a money standpoint, but because the houses and the driveways are so tight, we couldn't fit the Airstream. Yep. So we could get that or a condo. Yes. But if we were going to go right downtown, that was what our money was going to get. Yep. So then let's take the further opposite of right. that so two and a half miles from town yep there's all kinds of new neighborhoods that are being built mm-hmm. so we could get a three to four bedroom like new build with all the popular finishes like moving ready boom ready to go or we could get a similar size house on a bigger piece of land that is maybe more dated so yeah. that was kind of our options for being further out from town and then Let's bring it back to the middle. If we went somewhere in between those two. Sounds like Goldilocks. I know. If we went somewhere in between those two, like a mile-ish from town, um, we could get same size house as we could further out, 
but it was going to need a lot of help. Yeah. It's going to need some work. Yeah. Or we could get obviously something smaller, like something really, really small, um, but that is in pretty good shape. So the option that we ended up going with was that middle ground option of being under a mile from town in a good size house, but a house that is going to take several years of projects for us to really get it to where we want it. Yeah. I've told friends um, when they ask like, oh, how you guys liking the house? And, and I, I never want to sound negative. We we love where we're at. We really do love and our we house. We really do love this house. Mm-hmm. But in terms of of it being what we want it to be, I've made the joke like, I think I'm really going to love it in like four years. Yeah. Well, and like I said, we really do love it now. Yes. We just see it. We have the vision of what it's going to be in a few years. And I always feel like I always have to remember like, oh, yeah, everybody else like do, can't see our, they can't see our vision. vision of what yes. we're doing. Like, yeah, it doesn't look exactly how we want it to look right now, but I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, so. it's going to be great. Yeah. One day. Mm-hmm. The bottom line with this tip number two is to really, really know the market. Even if you've got a great real estate agent, take some ownership for yourself get familiar with the area. Uh, I was doing the math over here. It, it looks like um, we ended up lowballing them. At, we came in about 22% under. That was our initial offer. Uh, we came in about 22% under what they had had it listed for. And then we ended up buying the house at about 15% less. So 85% of what they were offering, right? We got a 15% discount um, is what we ended up settling on. Mm-hmm. So know the area. All right, number three is to spend a lot of time in the area, which we talked about this on the last episode, but in particular, really do a lot of walking around. I think people underestimate the value of walking around an area. You just don't pick up on as much if you're driving around. And even um, even if you're a runner, jogging versus walking, because we did that some too, like we went on some jogs and all that stuff. And then we kind of got in the habit of, hey, let's just take the Sunday and go Stroll. mosey. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we talked about, wow, I've, I notice a lot more. Like, Well, when you're running, your heart rate's up and I you're know. feeling like crap and you're trying to dodge traffic and, yeah. you know, just you can't really feel it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we just talked about the fact of how much we would walk and uh, we just can't stress that enough. There were a number of times where we would see a house pop up on Zillow and rather than immediately call the real estate agent and say, hey, we want to go look at this house, we would go and drive over to the area and think – oh, hey, like maybe we want to check this house out. But then we would get out of the car and go walk the area. And that would be like, mm, nope. Yeah, and just a lot of it was it. just a, yeah, it was just a feeling. Yeah. And um, we looked at a few houses that were just a, a street or two apart. Yeah. And one street would feel very claustrophobic compared to the other street. And the the very first house that we toured, actually, um, we really thought we were going to like it. And I remember we got we got to that area and started walking around, and I told you like, oh, this just feels claustrophobic. Yeah. Like I don't I don't like this. Yep. Um. And it was the the area of town that we wanted to be in. It was just that street. That just, one particular street yeah. just felt a little, eh, you mm-hmm. know. So can't you can't overstate the uh, the importance of walking. All right. So the fourth tip is to clearly define your priorities and the vision for the house that you're buying. So this goes back to, you know, in the last episode, we talked about what's your dream list for your location, and then what are your non-negotiables that you have to have. It's a very similar thing, but now just hyper-focused on the specific house. So this is all the way down to, like, how many bedrooms and bathrooms must you have? How much square footage 
or open um, uh, concept must you have? One of my weird ones is I wanted a somewhat flat yard. I refused to be on a steep, steep hill or steep, steep driveway. And I know that's odd, but like that was a non-negotiable for me. And so getting really clear on what your priorities that you want of a specific house matter a great deal. And, and not only just over the house, but also using our earlier tips, the location, right? Yeah. What's that area? Yeah. And so thinking through, is this a long-term house, a short-term house, or a I don't know how. I don't know. <laughs> Could be either. Um, and we struggled in this area because we are, we definitely fall into that. I don't really know. Ideally, we would love to stay here. But for multiple reasons, including getting closer to family, we may decide that we want to move. So we, we really needed to be mindful about that as we were choosing the house that we wanted to buy. We didn't need to buy something that that would take away our flexibility of being able to sell or if we wanted to rent it or, you know, whatever those options needed to be on the table. Yeah. And it's, th- this is really the most, this is really the most important step. I know I said, you know, the budget was in getting clear on your numbers, the most important, and that that is important, but this is really the most important because at the end of the day, unless you are just, I mean, uber, uber wealthy, we're all going to have to make trade-offs when it comes to your housing setup. And what I always encourage people on is that your, your budget and your money should not be this discouraging thing. Like we've talked about on this podcast over and over and over again, it should not be this thing that restricts you. Instead, what you want to do is get super clear on like, okay, if we can make this one, two, three, four things happen, if we can find a house with these four items, I will be 80, 90% happy. Like that's 80 to 90% of truly what I'm looking for. And so if we can make just those couple of things happen, and then anything else becomes a nice to have or icing on the cake. If we can pull that off within our budget, we're going to be stoked. And it, it really comes down to you've got to get clear on what you care the most about. Yeah. So some of those things that you might care about are location, um, the indoor amenities or, you know, condition of the house. Is it totally move in ready? Um, are you willing to do some projects? Like, can you buy something that uh, needs some work? Do you care more about outdoor amenities like a pool or lots of land or that kind of stuff? Um, And do you want space for guests? Like, does that matter to you or space for a home office or, you know, all that kind of stuff? Um, So we were really optimizing for location and space for guests. Yep. And we were willing to bend a lot on other things if we could get a a pretty good size house in the area that we wanted to be in. And... Then there were some other things, right? So I would say I would say those two were top, right? The area and then space for guests because, you know, our family and a lot of our friends don't live here. So they we want to have... We definitely want people to be able to stay yes, here. Comfortable people to be able to come and stay. After that, we've got to have space for the Airstream. After that, the other thing that came to my mind is we wanted a one floor house. We were open to having a second floor or a basement. But our ideal was just a single level. Well, and we, we really like like the ranch style yes. just because it gives you a lot of flexibility in what you do to what it. What you do to it. Yeah. So that was definitely a perk. What was cool about, I don't know, about our mindset towards this is how flexible I think we were with all kinds of other things. So like we have to have an office because we work remotely, but we're super open to that office being a weird random setup for a period of time while we refinish it. We're open to that office being one of the bedrooms. We're also open to down the road building a detached uh, office space yeah. or turning a garage into an office. Yeah. A lot of people do like the garage apartment type thing in the area that we are like yep. a detached garage with 
living space above it or, you know, wherever. Um, So, yeah, we were definitely open to that being an option down the road. We were just really willing to make a lot of trade-offs if we could get the location, the space for guests, the space for the Airstream, and ideally a ranch. Yeah. Pull off those couple of things. We're willing to trade off a lot of other stuff. Yeah, and I think I think it can be hard to think through these things clearly because, I mean, obviously we're just two people right now, but like we do plan on having kids in the mix at some point, and so it's easy to go. Well, we we really need more bedrooms than just this because yep. if we've got one that's taken up with an office and we've got one that we really want to be able to use for guests, like then we need more bedrooms. Like if we, if there's going to be kids, and it's it's like okay, yeah, but like right now you don't have kids, so if you use one of the bedrooms now as an office, you can change that later. It's yep. just, so it's recognizing how you can adapt within a space, and you might decide down the road to move altogether. Yep. Um, but there may be ways that you can just rearrange well, this, the space that you and have. And that's what's beautiful about the work. house we, we ended up buying is how much flexibility it gave us. And that's, that's again, going back to what you said, that's one of the reasons we love ranchers mm-hmm. is with this house, let's just use the office as an example. Let's say that in the future we have a couple of kids. We've got options. We could let the kids share a bedroom and we still have a space for the office. We could put an office in the backyard. And build something. We could do a co-working space. Or we could do a co-working space because we're so close to town. Yeah. We could just do a co-working space and rent an office in town. Like there's so many different ways that we could do this and still maintain our flexibility. Yeah. I think just recognizing you can adapt and change and do things differently as your situation changes. So That's don't right. feel like you're locked into what you're doing right now. Yep. The key with this step is spending some real time getting clarity on what truly is the most important. And this maybe is the hardest part if you're married and maybe the what you find most important the other person doesn't find the most important. Yeah, I feel like we were lucky. We were pretty pretty well aligned. We're lucky, pretty well aligned. And then the things, I think maybe one of the, the things that actually we're more aligned with on, this goes back to if you struggle with getting on the same page financially with your spouse, I definitely encourage you to check out. We did a three-part episode series starting at episode four of this podcast very early in the show. Um I, I'm I'm proud of how those episodes turned out. I thought um, we handled it well talking about our own struggles and how we've sort of gotten on the same page. But part of that is recognizing that what you really care about, I can budge. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, fine. If that's super important to you, let's make that a priority. And then you do the same for me. It's recognizing that we can both have hyper priorities. Very rarely are they going to be at odds. Yeah. Sometimes they might be, and then at that point it gets a little tougher. But a lot of the times it's just, okay, yes, and. It's recognizing that what is like a top one or two priority for you is like a seven or eight for me. Great. So on that decision, let's just do yours. Mm-hmm. And then for me, like the yard, you really don't care about the yard that much. Yeah. Like, But that one really mattered to me. I was like, I want a flat yard. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, well, let's just prioritize that. Yep. And so along those lines of getting on the same page with your spouse and, and all of that, um, that kind of leads us in to the fifth tip, which is to plan how much money you'll want to furnish the house and or to do any immediate renovations and all of that stuff. You would need to really clearly communicate with your spouse if you have one and make sure that y'all are on the same page before you buy a fixer upper that's going to take you five years to fix up where the other person wants it to be perfect in three months. You know what I'm saying? Like This was definitely the part that we struggled i would say we struggled more here um as far as getting our timelines right on the fixer upper aspect and making realistic timelines and realistic budgets for things 
rather than the getting on the same page and the initial sort of vision for what we want. Yeah. And I think we've worked together enough on things like fixing up the Airstream. And I don't know, we've been married for six years, which isn't like a super long time, but we're, we've gone through some things together that we kind of know how the other one ticks a little bit. And so I know as we were going through this process, I would really kind of push you to give me a slower timeline than what you think it's going to be. Like, don't give me an optimistic timeline. <laughs> like set set my hopes way down here. And then if we're able to do things way faster, then great. But don't don't try to, you know, give me the optimistic view to start with and then let's go way slower than that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I totally know. Well, and and for me, I'm a planner, right? So that's what we both know about me. And I struggle when things don't go according to my plan. So the best way to mitigate that is to plan for things to not go according to the plan, which sounds goofy, but... What that means with the budget is you keep a hefty emergency fund, unexpected expenses fund, all of that stuff. Yep. So this, I, I can't stress this one enough either, because when you get into a new place, even if you buy a new build that's like exactly what you want, you're gonna want furniture. You're going to want a new decoration. You're going to want new curtains. You're going to want... Ditero like, effect. Yes. Yep. Yes. So the the thing to keep in mind here is you either need to really know yourself and know that maybe you don't legitimately want any of that stuff and you're just going to take all the stuff at your current living uh, apartment or condo or house and move it to the new one and be happy. Most people are not like that. <laughs> so you need to plan for that and you need to have a budget already spelled out, already set aside, in addition to the down payment. That That's the hard part because most people will end up using basically all of their savings mm-hmm. to do a down payment on a house. And, and then, then it can feel really anticlimactic yes. if you come in and you can't afford to get any of the other stuff. Anything else. And so it really, ends up, it really ends up being really frustrating. And so unfortunately what a lot of people do is they end up going to their credit cards, right? Mm-hmm. Well, okay – I really want this thing and, and, you know, we bought this house and we need a fridge and we need a couch and we need a whatever. Let's put it on the, car- on the credit card, you know, and we'll go from there. So make sure you think about this on the front end. Make sure it's a part of the budget conversation. With us, we had basically two conversations. Conversation one is how much money do we have initially out of the gate? So when we buy this house, once we get through closing and everything else, What's our pot of money that we have to buy furniture, uh, start renovating, painting, whatever we're going to do? What's our number to Cutting work with? Cutting pine trees down. That, well, that's, that's where I was going to go, right? <laughs> so what's our initial number? And then on a monthly basis, right? We know what we make on a monthly basis. What's our monthly amount that we can continue to throw at the house? Because we bought a real fixer-upper. We need to be constantly we – get, we get a lot of projects. Yeah, we, ha- we have a lot of projects we're saving up for. So how much money do we have to work with monthly? Those are the two conversations we had to know our numbers with. Now, once you get into the house, especially if you buy a fixer-upper, you do have to be – have constant lines of open communication because – things change. We have reprioritized a bajillion times. So many times. So many times. Uh, one of the biggest ones we've talked about here on the on the podcast is the pine trees. You know, we got into the house and, you know, we bought this house right after a hurricane. Hurricanes are a big deal in this area. The house that we were going to buy got hit by a hurricane, which is how we ended up in this house. I won't rehash that whole long story. The point is... We had pine tree PTSD <clears throat> yes. and we wanted those babies out we of here. We wanted them gone. And there were... Do we have six, five five or six cut down. Yeah. So out of the gate, we need to pay about four grand, which we had 
we had the money in cash set aside, but we had thought that money was going to get used for some other projects. And we decided sort of on the fly, no, let's go ahead and get this done. Mm -hmm. And so that means that now we've got to consciously go a lot slower on some of the other projects. One of the other big things that we've kind of been working through is we have a leak situation going on under the house from our guest bathroom. And so we're trying to figure out if that we also have like old cast iron pipes. So we're trying to figure out if that can be patched for maybe a year, maybe two years. And can we band-aid this yeah, situation? How, how long can we uh, band-aid this? Um, versus do we need to put a pause on a lot of the smaller projects that we were planning to do? Because that's we were kind of trying to leave the bathrooms as is for the most part, do some other um projects and more of the living spaces and really send our money there but do we need to divert that money to just all go to the bathrooms to address the leak situation well and and to give some context here if you're familiar with a ranch house we have a very typical ranch layout and so our guest bathroom backs up to the master bathroom so if we have to get into the walls to fix a leak yeah Yeah. we're we're going all in on the bathroom we're doing both and so. so at some point we're planning to gut those bathrooms and refinish both of them. We were hoping to do that. Yeah, a, we a hope while our money doesn't now. have to go there right now, but it might. So like everything else is kind of at a halt until yes. we figure that out. Yep. So you got to you got to again going back to knowing your budget, knowing your numbers, knowing what you have to work with. Do not underestimate your desire to make changes. Um, buy furniture, furnish the house, want to spend money on the house. Do not underestimate that desire on the front end. Make sure you make a plan for it and set aside the money for it. And then once you actually get into the house, be a little flexible. Yes. And make sure you have a clear conversation with your spouse and set some hard numbers on your emergency fund. Yes. Um, And emergency funds. We like to have multiple emergency funds that are are designated for for different things. And we've talked about that before. But um, make sure that you and your spouse are on the same page. Like, okay, yes, all of this money is sitting in our account, but we're not going to touch this. Yep. Like, this is just going to stay so there. It's untouchable. Yes. Yep. So that that doesn't even come into the equation. And so, uh, make sure that's all out there on the table before you get into a situation where one person is like, "No, I really want, I really want to do this thing. I really want to do this project," and the other one's like putting a halt on it. Like, you want to have those conversations beforehand. I think this is really, really key. We could probably convince ourselves that this bathroom leak situation is an emergency. Look, the bathroom's leaking. We've got mold. This is an emergency. If we let this go on, blah, 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 right? We could do that. The problem is I like to have, like you just said, we like to have a couple different types of emergency funds. Our biggest emergency fund, our main emergency fund is an income loss fund, which means in the case we lose income, our jobs, right? That's what it's there to guard against. And so imagine if, you know, we did take that money to just throw it at the bathrooms and we siphoned all that money away. And then something like COVID happens and income drastically drops. Now what are we going to do? We're going to have to go into debt. That's what we're going to have to do. So, And that's why we found that we really like having the mon- our emergency fund money divided up into yes. different categories because you can really clearly see that like okay if this stuff does happen at the same time or really close together it's going to go really fast yep so it just keeps that in perspective for you so you're not tempted to drain that down too much if yep. that 
No, it makes total sense. All that to say, emotions get high during the home buying process. They're still high when you're moving into a house. And then they're even higher if you're buying a fixer upper that needs a lot of attention. And so you need to have some really clear guidelines for yourself around the money and you and your spouse need to be on the same page there before you get into the high pressure situation. Because just like you said with the bathroom, we have gotten better over the six years of our marriage as seeing things as, okay, this is a top priority, but it is not an emergency. Yeah. So yes, we are going to prioritize doing what needs to be done to the bathrooms. And we're still in the process of figuring that out. But we're not going to freak out and use our emergency money on this. You're spot on. Spot on. And that kind of leads perfectly into our, our sixth tip here about the emotions, which is to actually pay attention to your emotions and not let the excitement around this process get the best of you. And I, I mean, we couldn't hardly sleep that first night. You remember that first night? Oh, we were like, yes. we were really looking at like, are we ready? And we scheduled an appointment to go look at this house. Yeah. We were really excited about it. It was like in our budget. In the area that we wanted, it was so close to right downtown. close to my very most favorite coffee shop. It was awesome. It was amazing, and we—I mean, I literally couldn't hardly sleep the night yeah. before because we was, were it so was like excited. Christmas. I was so excited to, to go see it the next morning. So we get there, we're like we're walking through the house, everything's looking good. Like we're really kind of thinking, like, okay, okay, this could be it, maybe. And then we walk out into the backyard to kind of talk things over with our real estate agent, and as him and Nick were standing there talking, it registered with me that I was hearing like this annoying buzzing sound. And uh, I said, what, what is that? It's like this, mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of a low grade. <laughs> but it was a decently loud hum. It was loud enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, we realized it was kind of a weird backyard. That was one of the draw other drawbacks of the house was it had a fence around the backyard, but, but it, over the back side of the fence was literally like a ravine. Well, it was literally like the outlet. It was like a small bluff almost. Yeah. Just drop off. Yes. And uh, so we realized that was a water treatment plant yes. down there. So there was this big drop off and then just a little ways away was a water treatment plant. Yep. And you could hear it all around the house. Yep. And it was pretty loud. It was loud. It was loud enough to hear over your car. Like in when you had your car in front of the house and had your car running, you, you heard hear it, it over the car noise. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, if you buy a house that has something like that and you know that and you know like, yeah, that's kind of a uh, thing about it, but I can install a water feature in the backyard or well, I can do some things to, to deal with that, mitigate that, that's totally fine. But you do not want to buy a house get there to move in and then be like, what the heck is that noise? Yep. Like, you want to know what you're buying. Yep. And um, I think we were, we walked away from that experience. It was, it was really a teaching experience for us. Cause we said, okay, we need to really dial down our, our emotions yep. when we're, when we're going to look at something, because I'm honestly surprised that we noticed that because we were so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it would have been really easy to, well, overlook. you just put blinders on and mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, it's great. Let's look at this. Oh, cause you're just like, oh man, this yep. is sweet. And what's really interesting about that house is we watched that house sit on the market for a little while. So context on that house, this was a vacation house for them. And so they would come to the house. And since they weren't living there, I don't think they cared that much Mm -hmm. about it. Well, I think that was a big drawback. And they ultimately ended up, the house ended up selling for a good bit less than what they had initially listed it for. And I think it probably a lot had to do with that water treatment plant. It, It was a lot more annoying than we really initially even would have thought. And that's one of those things that if someone told you, 
I'm not sure I would have, I, w- I don't know that I would have really known how annoying it was unless we looked in person. Mm-hmm. With that, I'm going to also say like, don't buy into the dream house narrative. Yes. Because like you said, um, oh, well, I've got two points to make here. So the dream house narrative, there are always going to be more houses out there. And so if you, if one slips through your fingers, it's okay. It's not the end all be all. Like, don't get into that mindset because if you have your priorities really clearly laid out and you buy something that aligns with those, you're going to you're going to be able to make that a really good situation for yourself. So it kind of comes back to that don't make the right decision, make the decision right idea. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, don't get so emotional about the house buying process that you find one and you think that that is the one and only house out there for you. Well, that, that happened to not. us actually a couple of times. I mean, there was there was the, the weird house with the owners that we never could get a hold of. That's mm-hmm. a, a whole different story for another day. Uh, and then there's the house that got a pine tree that went right through it mm-hmm. with a hurricane. There were a number of houses that we were like, we're, I mean, this. Every step of, this, every step of the way, we thought it was our dream house. Yes, we were like, oh my gosh, this house and look at the area and the budget. And it's it's exactly what we want. And then for some, you know, something would happen. Don't get caught up in that. We love the house we ended up buying. Ultimately, if this house would have fallen through, we would have found something else. And that's the mindset you should have. Yep. The other point that I wanted to make is to trust your gut because we looked at that first house with the water treatment plant in the back. And then we did, we watched it sit on the market. And I'm not going to lie. There were a few times when I questioned myself of like, did we write that one off too soon? Should we have maybe paid more attention to that house? And it's not to say that if you have a similar situation and you do go back and revisit a a house that you looked at earlier that that was a bad decision but in our case I was definitely compromising because I was getting impatient and I was feeling like well maybe the house we want just isn't going to come on the market Um, and then especially with the hurricane stuff that happened the market was just dead for a little bit yeah it went well it Super dead for a while. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, most people had hurricane damage. Yep. And and so it did feel like, well, we're just never going to be able to get anything. So maybe we do need to get that house, even though it does have the water treatment. It's like, no, your gut was pretty strong on that. Like in your, just, yeah, at that initial kind of viewing, like don't, don't second guess that. Well, and our real estate agent, um, he was really awesome. Like I think... You know, maybe one day we, we might do an episode on, uh, you know, real estate agents and what to look for or something like that. And we got really lucky. He was phenomenal. And the reason I'm saying this, there are probably some agents out there who try to try to push you to get the deal done quick because they want the commission. And build that emotional right, part of things. He was not like this at all. No. And he even told us about somebody, you know, he's been in this area for 30 years. He really knows the area. And he was telling us about a client of his who, you know, he had very, very specific sort of needs and wants. And, um, you know, Michael was like, you know, he ended up uh, just telling me like, hey, here's what I'm looking for. Keep an eye out. Let me know. And then Michael was like, we looked for like nine, nine or 10 months. It was mm-hmm. like nearly a year. And, you know, it took us a while, but eventually the right thing came up the right price and we made it happen yeah and an example of how he talked about things we told him our budget hey we'd really like to be within this radius of downtown and for under this price and he he said he was like yeah you know we can do that I'm, I'm not gonna say that that comes up a lot he was like it they, those don't come up all the time but they definitely come up houses that that fit that criteria come up so it's just you know you'll be patient, be, be patient, but they'll come up and, and we'll, we'll find the right thing. Whereas he could have played that as like, Oh, I mean, they like never 
come up and because we had this conversation at the water treatment plant house. Yep. So he could have really tried to push us into, I mean, this is rare. It's a good like, deal. You yeah. really might need to, you know, and he didn't. So he, he definitely was like, yeah, you know, the water treatment thing is definitely something to take into consideration. And yeah, this house is, uh, you know, one of not a whole ton that are going to be in that budget that you want to be in, but it's definitely not the only one. Yeah. So, you know, just think it over. Yeah. I think the, I think the, the key point here is, you know, the biggest financial decision you're going to make in your entire life is who you marry because of how expensive marriage can be. And especially if you get divorced and incomes and all that stuff, one of the second biggest financial decisions you're going to make in your life is kids. And probably the third is going to be a house. So this is a big decision. Don't take it lightly. Don't rush into it. Be patient. Get really clear on what matters to you. And trust your gut. And then trust your gut. Yep. And you know who trusts their gut? Who trusts their gut? Cisco. Oh, And that brings me to (laughs) the stuff stuff we we like. like. Now, if you're wondering who Cisco is, I think you won't be wondering once I tell you the name of the song. No. Hold on before we do that. Uh, We're not endorsing the lyrics or the music video uh, or the purpose. As my Mima would say, we don't subscribe to that. (laughs) Or the purpose of this particular song. Uh, But the little documentary thing around it was fascinating. And there's no denying that it is catchy. It is catchy. All right. So the song we're talking about is The Thong Song. (laughs) But in particular, the stuff we like is the story of. Thong song. And it's from Vice, right? On the uh, U- on YouTube? Yes. So it is on Vice, the Vice YouTube channel, but we'll put a link to it. And um, it is just the story of the thong song and it's and it's, how it was created. It's fascinating, though, because they talk about how the beat came from like a sample from Eleanor Rigby from the Beatles, and it was supposed to go to Michael Jackson, but I, I won't ruin the story, but it, it didn't end up going to Michael Jackson. Yeah, and, and that song, got a hold of it. if you're not familiar with it, it has like a great violin part yes. in it. And so it, it talks about how that happened. They interview and, the violinist who is like hilarious and had no idea what who Cisco was or any I of this. I wish that I could say that I was the violinist on the thong song like it's pretty talk funny. about that's funny it's iconic yep but it was a it was yeah it was a really cool like 20 minutes like 20 thing. yeah 20 um, minutes well spent we watched it over dinner and it was very interesting they also got into like the whole um there's a whole sued. lawsuit they got yeah. sued and how uh again i won't reveal all of that but they ended up not being able to keep most of the revenue from the thong song mm-hmm. um, because of that lawsuit so anyways it's it was it was really really cool to kind of see this iconic thing certainly from us uh, growing up that most people know. And you get to hear Cisco explain the line, dumps like a truck, which that's pretty priceless. <laughs> that's pretty hilarious. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, yeah, for a fun little entertaining video after the kids go to bed, story of the thong song. It's uh, it's quite funny. All right, now that we've shared our scandalous stuff we like, Nick, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you uh, tie a bow on this episode for us? All right, so just a reminder the six tips we wanted to talk through for how to choose your specific house is first to know your budget inside and out. You got to define that, get super clear on it, and then stick to it. Second is to search and get to know the area so that you have a gut feeling about the house value and be able to know really, really quickly whether or not a house is overvalued or undervalued. The third is to spend time in the area to understand the different parts of that city and the different neighborhoods and how they feel and do as much walking around as possible as you can. 
Fourth is to clearly define your priorities and vision for your house. What are the top one, two, three, four things that you absolutely want to optimize for in that house? And then what else are you willing to trade off to get those things? Five is to plan for how much money you need to set aside to do all of your initial furnishing or initial renovations, especially if you're going to buy a fixer-upper. Make sure you're talking about that with your spouse if you have one. And then sixth, and maybe the most important, is to not let your emotions get the best of you. Buying a house is a really emotional endeavor. It's really easy to let that excitement, let those emotions drive your decision-making. Try as best you can to pull back, stay rational, and be patient and not let that excitement get the hold of you. That's our six tips. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you next week. Bye.